Kat. And I'm Kurt, and you're listening to Kat and Kurt's TV Review. Welcome to episode 90, I'll Kill You Quick. This week we're discussing series 6, episode 13 of Doctor Who, The Wedding of River Song, and season 1, episode 16 of Angel, The Ring. As always, we suggest you watch the episodes before you listen to the podcast. Also, if you haven't done so already, you may want to listen to our first podcast to get an idea of our methodology. Uh, no, but really, you need to watch this episode because, like, <laughs> yeah. seriously, yeah. it's messed up. It's hard enough no. to follow after having watched it, like, five times, let alone, you know. Yeah. <laughs> I actually, I was going to watch it actually actually one more time but sort of ran out of time so to speak um not so to speak that's literally what happened uh and and yeah it definitely there's a lot to pack in there Mm. and i'm sure we'll be talking about a lot more and i'll need to watch it again at some point but (laughs) anyway so so let me set up a little context before we get into the discussion um just a couple things I want to note. Um, so, obviously, this is the finale, um, which means Moffat wrote it. Um, and so, again, with the throwing the format out the window, this is a single-part finale this time. Um, sure. Which means that we have about the same amount of story just shoved into one episode rather than two. Um, which maybe accounts for some of why it's so busy. Um, and... Just a little. Just a little. And so that might have something to do with um, the fact that this finale does have a bit of a mixed reception. Um, It also has uh, some of the same lateness issues, which were uh, kind of getting in the way of Let's Kill Hitler. Um, And these were the last two episodes filmed for the season, basically because the scripts were late. Um, So, you know... I think there's maybe they're very ambitious, but maybe there's a lack of kind of polish. Um, so of the finales that had aired by the time they did the last Doctor Who magazine poll, this was yeah. the the lowest rated of the of the finale episodes. Of the finales. Of the yeah. finales. Now it's not like hugely low otherwise. It's probably somewhere in the middle. It's not like it's hated or anything, but you know, sure. this is maybe the one which is the hardest to kind of get into, you know, as a viewer, you know, from the fans' point of view anyway. Um, but that doesn't mean there's not really great stuff in it. Um, and sure. uh, it was nominated for a uh, BAFTA, uh, a Welsh BAFTA award for best sound. Um, something else I want to bring up, just because I think it's interesting from like the Moffat writing point of view. Yeah. Um, Best sound. That's an interesting. Like I don't know that I would have picked out yeah. the audio in this as being <laughs> particularly. Although there was one moment where you do hear the recurring, you know, the theme, the da 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 da, mm-hmm. da. and they like they slow it down and you know, kind of yeah. like I didn't notice it, but I don't like it's also in other episodes. So like you know, like I don't. Yeah, know that yeah. The 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 eleventh Doctor theme. Um, yeah, they, yeah. They, they do use it a lot, but, but there's a lot of variety that you can get out of it. Um, oh yeah, definitely. So one thing I just want to bring up, cause I just think it's interesting from like the point of view of 
Moffat um, running the this and Sherlock sort of concurrently is that um, between series six and seven of Doctor Who, you get the premiere of the season two finale of Sherlock, which is the Reichenbach fall, which is the one where he mm. jumps off of the building. Um, and, you know, so you have this apparent death of the hero and then the, you know, the cliffhanger being he's alive and well in the cemetery. And so you have like two years to wait and find out how did he pull it off? Um, right. So it, it kind of is interesting to see like well, Moffat. And you, you never end up finding you that. Never, you never, well, and so the, my point being, um, I wonder if this, because basically that is what this whole season is in a nutshell. It's like we see the doctor die in episode one and then we find out how he gets out of it by the end, you know, if or how he gets out of it. And at at the end, at the very not even end, like, yeah, yeah, in like the last minute. <laughs> and um, I wonder whether this episode, because so, you know, maybe he I don't know which one he wrote first, but, you know, if, sure. if this came out and then. Before a year has gone by, we get the Reichenbach fall. I would assume they were written about the same time, more or less. And then it's another, you know, year and a half or two years or whatever, three years even, before we get the empty hearse when you find out how Sherlock, you know, got out of it. And you don't really ever for sure find out. So I no, wonder if this episode... You get all the, the You get all the theories and you get... And then you, you get Sherlock giving what you think is the right. definitive answer only to have him say, well, maybe not, you know? Um, right. So you can kind of see Moffat playing around with that idea. And I wonder whether this, the experience of writing this season in this episode kind of showed him that the how is maybe the least interesting part of it. Like, you know, because it is kind of, you get all the way to the end of season six and it's like in the last 30 seconds, it's like, Oh, you know, it was the test selector the whole time or whatever. And, you know, I guess your mileage varies as to whether or not that's a satisfying answer to the mystery. And I think it's interesting that when Moffat comes back to do that again with Sherlock, he like pointedly doesn't answer, <laughs> like, you know, and yeah, which just like, pisses like off a whole other group of people. So <laughs> the experience of doing it this way, yeah, makes him think. Well, maybe it's better not to, right. you know, to it leave just, the question open. And depending on your point of view, one of those answers might be satisfying, and the other not. Yeah. You know, or whatever. So I just think that's kind of interesting to see him playing around with those ideas, and you know, how to how to kind of have a satisfying, you know conclusion to that kind of mystery or whether you just chalk it up and say you can't satisfy a cliffhanger as good as that and so the fun of it is more about the theorizing which is kind of what the empty hearse is about like the fan theories are way more interesting than like whatever the actual conclusion yeah. is or whatever so not to go off on a sherlock tangent but i think it's interesting that he's kind of doing those two stories more or less at the same time so, mm -hmm. yep. uh, yeah, and so first of all, I want to point out that I did call the ending before you did, yeah. Uh, it was revealed, so woohoo to me! <laughs> <laughs> thank you, for, thank you for yeah. uh, that little humble brag, which is not so humble, uh, it's just a regular brag. No, um, the, the yeah, I mean, 
And of, they're such very different shows, despite the fact that Moffat is doing both of them. I mean, obviously there are some yeah. just sort of characteristic style things that, you know, might be similar, but, you know, from a, the whole premise and everything, they're, they're pretty different shows. Oh, yeah. I think, um, and I think because they are, they both work in their own way. Sure. <laughs> so like, yeah. like I, I don't, I didn't find it. A bizarre down. or absurd that it was the test selector. Like I didn't to undercut my own brag a moment ago. Like I didn't figure it out until this episode. Like right. when, when the test selector, when we saw the test selector before it never occurred to me that, Oh, maybe this it is how the doctor that, gets right. out of, you know, dying in mm-hmm. the end. Um, but when it showed up again this time, I was like, hmm, yeah. wait a minute. Like, and then, like, by a third of the way through the episode, it's like, okay, we saw the test selector, and then suddenly it's just gone again? No. Like, he didn't just bring it back right. to not have it. To not your, use it, yeah. You know, to not use it. Yeah. So, um, although, then again, there are characters in this episode that are, that do just sort of appear, and then we mm-hmm. don't see them again later. So, right. I mean, I guess that's not totally out of the question, but that, the difference being that we see the test selector in, quote, the real time, not in the smushed up time. So, right. uh, well, except that it is the test selector sort of the whole time. But, um, yeah, you know what I'm it's saying. It's enough anyway. there that you can sort of, if you're paying attention closely, right. you can guess it, but it doesn't like, you know, broadcast my, it, you know, episodes ahead of time or anything. My point being, like, there are certainly times where, like, I actually like this explanation more than some of the other explanations we get about even just how things happen in sort of the Doctor Who universe because a lot mm-hmm. of time it's just sort of psychobabble and, right. you know, or technobabble or whatever. And it's like, at least this time, it's like, okay, this is, yes, it's sort of futuristic technology that wouldn't actually be able to exist, but we've seen it before, we've seen it working, mm-hmm. and it's like, oh, yes, this does seem like sort of an obvious way in which the Doctor could sort of... yeah fake his own death and go undercover to figure out what's happening. Yeah. You know, and defeat the silence. So like, I actually, I actually quite like that as an explanation, Mm -hmm. um, not to get too deep into Sherlock Holmes. I also like the way that that would like, they, it definitely got me because like, you know, the first time you, you know, you're watching it and it's what is like two random people, right? Like just on the street or no, it's the cop, isn't it? Uh, the first story that they tell is the cop saying something to like it's, one of his cop buddies, it's right? It's like the the forensic guy that hates Sherlock, but he's like obsessed right. with. Okay. He started the fan club about yeah, who, like, you who know, right? Whoever it is, the empty hearse. Yes, right. But it, they uh, basically have their their fans and their theorizing. Like there are all about, these different yeah, theories. There are, you know. <laughs> but I think, but I think why that works is because, you know, one you do have Sherlock, who's this high profile guy or whatever you know and like they don't know initially that he's going to return but then he does return so of course it's going to cause like lots of speculation yeah and i mean one of the things that i I like it sort of as a meta commentary even on like the sherlock holmes stories because like the the idea of sherlock holmes is always that he always explains right he kind of has to prove his you know 
expertise yeah. and, and knowledge and brilliance and whatever. But he only ever does that to Watson. Right. He doesn't do it to everybody else. Yeah. And I mean, us as voyeuristic readers, right. you know, who get to sort of peek in on their relationship. But he doesn't do that for everyone. So you can see, like, there would maybe be these this subgroup of people who know about Sherlock Holmes but aren't in his inner circle right. of one person, right. you know, that would get that that sort of priviness, yeah. uh, you know, to the, to the information. So I, anyway, not, I don't mean to get into like Sherlock Holmes territory, but I do like, yeah, they work how they both work out for the show in which they're being used. Right. Yeah. Um, and I do want to say too, that just sort of from my own perspective, I, mm-hmm. I like, I tend to like the less is more. So like, mm-hmm. I actually tend to be okay with not explaining things if it's not sort of strictly necessary to do so in the story. Yeah. And, and I do think sometimes that that often is a fault of some stories mm-hmm. in wherein they try to explain too much, yeah. uh, you know, about the world and whatever. And it, it's sort of either because they make some stupid, you know, fallacious reasoning, mm. you know, point or some point of inconsistency like that ends up becoming the focus of, you know, the thing rather than the actual story itself. And it's like, that doesn't. Right. And there's something, even though I like, I could understand if you got really, you know, worked up about this elaborate theory and then felt sort of, okay, then the test selector is like a too simplistic answer, but the simpleness of it is kind of nice that like, it doesn't take a big techno babbly, like, you know, timey wimey explanation. It's just, he was in a robot <laughs> and like you can just kind of at the end of it. Oh yeah. You know, he just hopped in the test selector and that explains everything. And you don't really need to dwell on it. So we can spend the rest of the episode talking about everything right. else, you know, like, right. Because we've already met it. Everything. Yeah. Right. We've already met that mechanism yep. and we already sort of know how it works and yeah. And it's, oh, okay. And we already know. Like, I mean, it's already, we have already seen it as Amy and these other yeah. characters. So, yeah. sure. Why couldn't it look like the Doctor? That makes sense. Yeah. So, anyway. Um, <laughs> so, 15 minutes of production notes. 15 minutes in. Well, we're already kind of talking about the episode. So, I think we're, no, both, that's... we're both satisfied with the conclusion yeah, of the I Doctor's didn't... death anyway. You know, how he escapes. Yes. So um, I yeah, I definitely didn't feel like that was like weak or mm-hmm. disappointing in any particular way. So, um, okay. I would be. I'm <laughs> now. I'm curious though to know like why people are disappointed in that. Like what they would say, and not that we necessarily have to get into it, but just yeah. Like, well, yeah. How I'm much sure there time are. Do we have? <laughs> I yeah. I'm sure there are many reasons. So I I mean I think. To address the whole situation, yeah. uh, at least as we get it at the beginning and, and through a fair bit, like this is, sometimes we are sort of thrust into a situation, but then it sort of develops throughout, but it actually remains sort of the same situation for most of the episode. Yeah. And like, it's sort of like it, the flat, the, the, you know, real time portions are sort of the flashback, except for the very end. So um, we get this sort of bizarro world Mm -hmm. uh, with weird things happening, Mm -hmm. like sort of 
time is sort of all smushed together in this into this particular moment uh you know where we get the holy roman emperor winston churchill writing his own personal mammoth right. you know kind of stuff and um my favorite it's always, my favorite is dickens on tv talking yeah. about his upcoming christmas special yeah because yeah. he would totally well, do that like he would have a popular tv program oh, yeah. and like be writing you know the christmas special for that year yeah. and it's the same dickens from way back in season one so um, well and i like even I like even just the reference yeah i i, I caught that as well that it was the same guy um same actor mm. the uh i like the um too what he says it's like oh and it's going to feature ghosts from you know present future and past and it's like well all that's exactly yeah. that's exactly what this is yeah. it's all of these creatures and things that are from all over time yeah and place you know it's sort of again smushed together so yeah it kind of like even fits and and i did like that sort of double Entendre mm-hmm. there um, with that. Um, so I don't I don't know that I would say that this is a criticism. Okay. But at the same time, like given all of this huge elaborate setup, mm. there's not much to do with it. <laughs> like, sure. I don't like other than. Other than we we know that, and and maybe that's kind of the point. Mm. Insofar as there is a point, like I kind of feel like, like yeah, there's this, there's this whole situation that's been established. But what happens? The doctor, who is locked up in the prison tower in the you know tower, yeah, L- London Tower, I guess, um, you know, because he's sort of a raving madman. But then Winston Churchill realizes, and so. I, what I'm curious about, I and I don't get a sense of, mm. is what sort of subjective time frame we're dealing with. Right. Uh, because, I mean, there's the sense of, like, oh, it's always been this way. Right. But then there's also the sense of, like, the moment when Winston Churchill calls for the doctor is, like, when it actually first started. Like, did right. he almost notice this right away? Right. And is like, oh... Well, I happen to know there's a raving madman up there. So why don't we get him? You know, like. And, right. And so, like. Right. How long has this really been going? Is it. Yeah. It could like, be kind of like Donna in the library. Like, like, you know, oh, you've always been here, you know, and, you know, mm-hmm. and her kind of saying, oh, that's right. Yeah, I forgot. And but like, you know, her subjective time is skipping forward and all, you know, yeah. and, and you're unaware. And we. We know that it's only been a couple minutes. Yeah, and like, it's like you, dream and time, And it feels you know? to her, yeah, it's like 40 years or whatever. Yeah. Like, so, or whatever. Yeah. Any well, and I think the fact that, like, not a lot happens, you know, at least, I mean, I guess you could say stuff starts happening when, like, Amy and River show up, you know, but yeah. up until well, then, that's... the fact that nothing's happening does kind of seem like the point, like, that that's the problem, is that time can't move forward the right. way it's supposed to, and that this right. is... A, like a, a problem this is going to result in you know eventually things are just going to start to like you know go haywire and short out and you know whatever happens when time yeah. starts dying that yeah. like there's there's a something unhealthy about time being stuck like that um yeah and with the exception maybe of river because she like the doctor has you know a sense of what's beyond right like mm-hmm. 
she's not sort of trapped by the time right. situation. Um, like you get a sense too that like Amy maybe just found herself standing there with a gun and an eye drive. Sure. And being like, yeah. Okay, here I am. Right. Like, I don't know what's going on. Oh, wait, let me think. Yes, I'm fighting the silence and yeah. I need to go find the doctor now. Like, like that these things just sort of Happen. emerge and yeah. occur, you know, to her. So like, there's not a real sense of, yeah, you get less of a that sense. It's been a like, long it's, battle it's less something. like, um, when time died last year in the big bang, <laughs> it's <laughs> less of the sense of like, the alternate history of like, you know, that like Amelia has a different backstory and is growing up differently and all like right. you get more of a sense of like time in that, I think. Whereas this is more the kind of like there is no past or future, there's only present. And it's just like instant and everything at once. And it only makes sense because like some of these people are sort of clever enough to figure it out and like like that river and amy have privileged sort of information as time travelers they can kind of understand it you know maybe a little bit better but but there's no sense of like progression or yeah even like amy's memories are sort of flawed Flawed, in that way because i mean especially like with regard to right um and that kind of thing so like yeah there's Anyway, all, all that to say, like, I, like, yeah, just as far as the situation itself goes, it's all, like, in one respect, and I don't mean this to, like, undercut it, because I yeah. said I like the episode and whatever, but, like, in one respect, nothing sort of happens right. for most of the episode. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, it kind of all takes, the, hey, when I said the next episode was going to be about the moment on the beach. I meant that literally. Like that's yeah, pretty much it, all that happened. Literally the moment. <laughs> it's about on the like beach. that 30 seconds, you know, yeah. between yeah. when she sho- like when she turns up and when she shoots him and he dies. Like that's all. Yeah. yeah. It's like, yeah, I don't remember what the story was or who wrote it, but I just remember reading story once when I was in like high school or something about like, you know, it was like, I don't know. 20 pages long but it's about you know like the split second of a guy falling out a window kind of thing like you know I it's like those I types one, of i can't remember yeah. what it's called like the ambrose bierce uh, it no, might I be can't remember the might name be. of it i know which one you yeah mean. yeah um anyway so yeah it's like that sort of thing going on but except that that's sort of like the mental state of it right like this is like the stuff is still sort of happening yeah uh, during that time period. Um, th- sorry, the other example I was thinking of, actually, you mentioned, you know, um, when time ended or whatever last, last, and <laughs> when we last had time end. Uh, no, when, um, but I was thinking of like Martha, you know, like mm. the year that yep. never existed kind of thing. Like that, the time actually passed, you know, like normal time. It just got, rewound and erased right. you know and then certain people could remember, could remember it who it. were at the heart of what happened but nobody else remembered it so for them it didn't actually happen yeah. but like this isn't like that either like it's not like it's kind of like they're doing stuff but yet there's still no time passing like yeah it's weird yeah um that that story if you're talking about the one i think of is called an occurrence at owl creek bridge 
in case anybody's. I think that's. Yeah. I think that might be it. I don't. Know, it, I read it in high school. I yeah. That was so long ago. It's twenty years ago. Um, um, the other thing I hadn't thought of that as like a reference, but the other thing that struck me this time is um, the use of when they're talking about uh, it, it being a still point in time, which is mm. what enables them to create a fixed point, which is interesting because apparently you can make fixed points. <laughs> um, that made me think this time of T.S. Eliot's Four Quartets, you know, which uh, uses the phrase um, the still point in time. Um, or it's, for him, it's the still point of the turning world. Um, and, I mean... Sure. I could talk about the Four Quartets for a while, but, like... You know, basically the idea of, you know, past, present, future, all being sort of intermingled and inseparable um, and, you know, in kind of community with each other is kind of what those poems are mm -hmm. about. And it, and one of the final lines is about um, coming to, you know, the end of the journey being to come back to where you started and to know it for the first time. And, you know, I kind of thought it's a nice kind of reference for this episode because that's kind of what we've done this season is to loop back around to the beginning, you know, of what sure. we saw. But now with the added context of what's going on. So in a sense, right. nothing happens. But in a sense, everything's different because of what we know now um, and because of what the characters have learned. So even though the events are the same and even though, you know, physically not much changes, we know the place better, you know, by the end of the story. So you could yeah. get kind of, I, I, even though there's not a whole lot to say because as you say, not much happens, I think you could get really kind of philosophical with like the idea of the still point in time and all of time happening at the same time and everything. Um, yeah. So. Well, and and I found it interesting that River even talks about. Um, well, there's two moments where she talks about rewriting time, right? So one is uh, about rewriting specifically a fixed point. Mm -hmm. A fixed point in time can be rewritten, and then she says also time can be rewritten, and we get the echo of "Don't you Don't dare. dare!" Like, yeah, there's, uh, which is both sad and you know, yeah. happy at the yeah. same time. Um, well, like, and I love the doc when she says, uh, you know, she's going to rewrite the fixed point and he says, no, you can't. Who told you that? And then it like cuts him off as everything like, and you know, it's kind of funny. Um, Cause he, it's doing it as he's saying it can't be done. But also I think we've had cause to question that before, you know, with mm. the fires of Pompeii and with the waters of Mars that, you can, you know, maybe rewrite fixed points. Now, there are terrible consequences if you do. You know, it doesn't mean that it's sure. easy or that that's always the right decision, but it does seem like it can literally be done, you know. Um, well, But then and, but there's also, the question here about, does anything really change, you know? Yeah. Uh, and I sent you a link to this blog called the millennium blog, which I'll link to in the show notes. It's long and it helps me understand the episode better than I did when I watched it. But one of the good points I thought the blogger brings up is that, um, 
really, you know, if you're talking about does the fixed point get rewritten in this, it kind of could come down to maybe the, like the events might change, but as long as the perception of the events remains the same, then what difference does it make? You know, if at the end of the day, what's important is that right. the, doctor, the doctor appears to die and everyone believes he's dead, then that seems that he can rewrite the point and get out of the consequences of doing it, you know? <laughs> well, there's also the other flip side of that is maybe the fixed point isn't that the doctor died, but that it always was the robot who died. And, and that... Yeah, we all misunderstood was, what the fixed point was in the first right, place. Right, right. Yeah. So, so it's not that the fixed point actually changed. It's that our understanding of what happened yep. at that fixed point changed. Yep. Uh, which is a completely different thing. Yep. Uh, yeah, no, and there, I think Moffat has certainly left himself enough wiggle room, mm. <laughs> you know, well, to, and, and to, that's a, to play with that. And that's a... That I like, even if that never is like a question that needs to be answered, that's a right. perfectly good, you know, uh, ambiguity. You know, like yeah. that's yeah. sort of more data for the fixed point question, but it doesn't necessarily answer all the mechanics of how they work and everything. Yeah, well, and to your point earlier, we're talking about a still point versus a six, fixed point. Like maybe never actually became a fixed point. Right. They just tried to make it a fixed point. And so maybe it's harder to change still points, but it's possible, whereas fixed points you can't actually change. And maybe that's the difference between the two is that, right. you know, you you can still still uh, change a still point. Mm. I don't, you know, I mean, there's maybe, or maybe it's not even, maybe there's, Maybe it's not actually possible to make a fixed point that's, you know, yeah. maybe that's a wrong theory by Kaveri. Like, there's all these other right. potential explanations, I guess, is, yeah. is where you're going to, like, well, so yeah, I do kind of like the... You know, you get the Doctor outwitting Kovarian in the silence, so I think we're at liberty to take whatever they say with a grain of salt, that they're not, right. like, the authorities, you know, that they're right. kind of experimenting and trying to make something happen and don't necessarily know that it's going to work they, or what it means if it does work, you know? And they have the logic of zealots. I mean, in a way, you know what I yeah. mean? Like there's, there's very much, I mean, we, we hear that they're a religious order, you know, of a yeah. sort. So like this is, there are religious orders out there that sort of believe the world works the way they say it works regardless of whether that's actually true or not mm -hmm. and so you know there's a certain amount of you know or could be a certain amount of just yeah hey this is what we want to happen and so we're saying this is what does happen but that may not actually be the case yeah um well and it's like you know we talk about all this stuff as if it's like scientific like what is a fixed point how do you make one how does it work but i think part of the implication of like talking about the silence as a you know a religion and like dorium's uh explanation of the mistranslation in their kind of creed right is like it kind of does open up the possibility of misinterpretation and um right. and unreliable narrators and you know 
is yeah. are we taking this for truth when it's actually a statement of belief you know not necessarily like an objective fact of this is how you know a fixed point works or how this these things are supposed to happen yeah. and you know rule number one the doctor lies so like yeah he also may not be completely telling the truth the about the biggest points. Ne- unreliable narrator of them all yeah right so many many reasons why it could either be a fixed point and still work out the way that it did or it could not be a fixed point and yeah thus was able to work out the way it did right <laughs> um i think all of them are at least plausible within the sort of world that that has been created. Yep. Um, so where to go from all of that? Uh, I mean, I think just, we wanted to talk about sort of the four main characters, Dr. River, Amy and Rory. Yeah. Um, and so ignoring all of the like backstory, you know, narration to winston churchill Mm -hmm. and stuff like i mean not i don't i mean like ignoring the part where he's actually telling the story but like focusing on what actually happened what he tells us yeah so like last when we saw him at the end of the previous episode Mm -hmm. uh he was you know stepping into the tardis um but again, we get a sense of like him not quite going directly to, yeah. you know, where he is supposed to go. Mm. So uh, first, he wants to do a little investigation. Mm. So he hunts down the, the test selector, mm-hmm. uh, gets some info from them, uh, and then hunts down this like other envoy or whatever who's employed by the silence so so which is interesting so presumably there are a number of people like madame kavarian right you know throughout the universe and time uh the deadly chess game is interesting (laughs) like and actually fun fact that's mark gatus under all that makeup and the big chin and everything oh really yeah so yeah i would not have known that no um (laughs) But yeah, a fight, a f- the fight to the death yeah, of, chess of chess is a little is a is an interesting you know <laughs> parallel to the angel episode this week. But right, yeah, <laughs> I noticed neither. that, well, especially like the way the crowd is like cheering them on right. from the stands and everything. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, no, that was that was fun and whatever. But uh, yeah, no, we get this. We get the sense that the doctor is, you know, going around trying to find out more information, and eventually, <laughs> the the like catacombs with all the heads of the headless monks, yeah, um, kind of, and <laughs> they behead you while you're alive. So therefore, the skulls are animated. Like that's logic. Okay. Okay. Whatever. Um, I I know it's a popular theory out there that uh this may be the source of how jack turns into the face of Bo because we've had dorium because <laughs> we've had i didn't even <laughs> think of that because we've had dorium talk about you know getting that uh he has a connection with time agents remember he like gets the uh yeah 
vortex manipulator from the wrist of a handsome time agent. Um, and, you know, so the fact that, uh, you know, there's that connection with the time agents and the headless monks, and then you do find out that, yeah, they behead you, and apparently your head stays alive and animated. You know, it's possible. Could happen. Why not? <laughs> yeah. Um, I, anyway. That did not even occur to me. <laughs> Uh, but I like it. I like it too. I mean, you know, we can continue thinking about that, I guess, but that's interesting. Huh. But anyway, the, so uh, yes, it would seem that the, the skulls retain a certain amount of self-awareness and, and if you're rich, you get to put your head in a box where you have a bit more comfort and Wi-Fi, and, you know. <laughs> And apparently, yeah, you're preserved longer yeah. or whatever. Um, yeah, you're somewhat better maintained. So, yeah, I like the use of Dorium. Um, you know, that we keep sure. having him crop back up. Um, and, you know, again, always as this sort of ambiguous kind of ally who isn't really on the Doctor's side, but he has a lot of information and, you know... Yeah, he's not necessarily on the doctor's side, but he's also not, like... Against him, either. Yeah, yeah. there's no, like, antipathy No, he's sort of a free agent. Um, and, and, yeah, like, he, he... So, and, like, you get the sense that he sort of enjoys being the one to impart information. Mm -hmm. Like, that he is an information broker, and he, and, like, but it's not necessary. Like, he is rich and gets money for it, but... He also, it's more, or at least just as much about the being able to reveal some big secret to someone, yeah. perhaps that shock value, you know, like yeah. that, yeah. that he gets a thrill out of that as much as he gets out of getting money for information yeah. kind of thing. Yeah. Um, and so, uh, right. So the stuff that he says to the doctor, you know, specifically about his situation, like mm. he reveals... Like, he, he asks him, you know, do you want to know the question? Mm-hmm. And the doctor, of course, is like, yes, I want to know yeah. the question. Um, and then we don't get it. No. Well, not Until the end. immediately. Yeah. Uh, you know, and the doctor kind of carries him away. And that's funny when he's upside down, too. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, like this. So, you know, the doctor sort of searching for all these things. Although this is, like... At the end of Waters of Mars, when he leaves, mm. right, and knows that he's supposed to go see the Ood, mm. Ood Sigma or whatever, and then we find out that he's been on, you know, vacation for right. several months or yeah. years or however long. Yeah. Um, this is obviously a different sort of situation. Like, he's actually not just, you know, going around saying goodbye to people, which is... Interesting, because that's exactly what he was doing when we saw him with Cliff. Mm. Or, uh, Craig. Craig. Yes. Uh, Cliff. <laughs> Where did Cliff come from? Uh, but yeah, like that, you know, oh, it's my farewell tour. Well, yeah. no, this is not his farewell tour. This is his, I'm trying to find out information yeah. about, you know, what's going on before I walk into the situation. Um, 
And and the thing that I was thinking about is that we talked before because at the beginning in episode one of this season, you know, we get him saying that he's what several hundred, a couple hundred years older mm-hmm. or whatever, two to three hundred yeah, years older than like he than he was the last time we got his age. Mm-hmm. So, um, you, I guess you could make a case that he spent those couple hundred years doing all of this. I kind of feel like it probably wasn't quite that long, mm. but maybe it was a while. Like, yeah. you know, it may have been several years or like, like there does set, as much as we talked about there not, you know, there being a sense of no time passing during the actual, uh, in the 502 moment. Right. You know, like, there is definitely a sense of quite a bit of time yeah. having, you know, a pass- and like time in between the jumps too. And, and we're, and, and it's hard to tell because we're getting it. It's backstory too. So like, right. that's just the way stories work. Oh, well then, you know, a week later I went to this place, you know, like, right. you know, you can just sort of skip around in those sorts of stories, you know, when you're just sort of talking and saying, well, you know, then the next year I did this, but, um, we, so, you know, we don't know exactly how long, but I do get the sense that there was at least some more than slight passage of time between all these things because yeah. he had to hunt people down and he had to find stuff out. And there were probably, you know, he would had to stalk people for a while. Right. And, you know, yeah. like, you know, all these things that we don't typically see him doing in a Doctor Who episode. Yeah. Um, that would be an interesting episode. Just have him like trying to get a piece of information and hmm. he's literally just like waiting for someone to come by or something. <laughs> anyway. Like you figure that that probably happens a fair amount. And right. It, you know, as much as we see him sort of running off and having adventures, there are probably also lots of little moments of him just sitting around. Yeah. Well, uh, and I think it, it brings up the idea too of, um, <sighs> There are certain um, times, depending on the incarnation of the Doctor, um, in the classic series, where his manipulativeness was emphasized. As a, like, there's somewhere you get more the sense of just the he's not thinking ahead at all. Like he's you know just bumbling from one place to the next without a thought really. Um, but then there are some, and I think in particular, Sylvester McCoy's doctor was very known for his kind of big, uh, grandiose, like, machinations, where, like, he would orchestrate a whole, you know, um, thing to happen the way he wanted it. So you'd find out, like, oh, he was behind this the whole time. He just never told the companion or the, or the audience even you know like yeah. you find out it's really the doctor behind the scenes manipulating the whole thing mm. and that hasn't been something i think we've gotten a huge sense of until now and i think this is like and maybe you know that's something that's coming out in the 11th doctor a bit is more of the the and it's not like necessarily i don't want to say manipulative like as necessarily a bad thing i just mean like literally like he's manipulating like he's sure. not just like, he was just avoiding it for a while, but now he's gone beyond that. He's not just avoiding it. He's actually going to 
try to do something about it. So right. he's going to go, but he's going to do everything in his power to try to get the outcome that he wants. So he's not just purely facing it. He's sort of, you know, well, let me find, like, okay, if I have to go, I'd like to know why, because this seems kind of stupid to just yeah. walk in with no idea why or what's going to happen. And sure. then let me see if I can figure out a, a loophole. Um, sure. So you get more of the sense of like him having like a purpose, you know, behind what he's doing and putting some like forethought and planning into what he's doing. Yeah. And I, I would, I'm trying to think of an example. I'm going to make an assertion because I can't think of an example to prove it. Okay. But like, I would say that we've gotten maybe hints of things before where mm -hmm. like it's been like oh but you know i did this thing while nobody was looking but we never right. actually see him do it yeah it's just sort of expository and right you know oh this is what i did and now it worked out because i did it and well but and even that though i think has usually been like in the moment in a particular episode like oh here's well, the clever thing that yeah. i did to get us out of the jam here it's like between the sending of the envelopes, you know, to invite them to his death. And then, you know, researching the silence, figuring out what the question is, um, recruiting the Tesselector, you know, and then getting River to understand what his plan is without telling anybody. Like, all of that requires more forethought, I think, than what... Like, yeah. usually he gets by on his cleverness in a, in a given moment. Whereas here, there's actual, like pre-planning going on yeah no and that's that's sort of what i was going to say is that it in those moments where we've seen that before it's like well here, yeah you know here we see him playing chess like and winning at chess right. against someone who's apparently really good like that sort of you know to sort of get to that grandmaster level you know you have to be thinking mm. many steps ahead whereas when we've seen it before it might be like one or two or maybe three steps right. like at like that's stretching it you know yeah now it's clearly lots of planning like you're saying and lots of things going to happen and and so um i'm curious if he knew what was going to happen with like, did he know that river was going to try something like maybe he didn't know the specifics of it. Right. But like, if he knew that river was going to try something to stop, you know, right. Time in that sort of way, like I, maybe. Yeah. I don't get the, I don't get the feeling that he does because he's kind of, when she says like, well, I just drained my weapon pack. He's sort of like annoyed and like, wait, you can't do that. And then they spin off into their, little bubble yeah. reality and she and he spends the rest of it like annoyed with her like oh you're messing up the plan <laughs> like yeah, yeah, like yeah. river i got this seriously like you know and then right. it's only when he finally figures out a way to kind of secretly tell her what the plan is that they go back and you realize oh he's fine um because mm -hmm. he already had the the you know he already had it figured out um that's the impression I get. Otherwise, I feel like he would have found a way to maybe tell her that. But he was trying to figure out a way where only he knew, you know? Yeah, like, where yeah. actually she would kill him and believe that he was dead. And he would 
you know, escape and maybe tell her or not. Um, well, and, and like looking back to at sort of, so, you know, he invites all his friends, right. And, and even gets questioned on, well, why did you invite all your friends? And it, you know, he sort of passes it off of, you know, well, you know, just cause I have to die doesn't mean I have to die alone. Well, he knows he's not going to die. So like, right. but why is he really doing that? Well, then it's because it's like that thing of, it, it's the same thing with, you know, back to Sherlock, the Reichenbach mm. fall. I needed someone who knew me and could identify me yeah. and could witness, you know, my death who was reliable, yeah. you know, to, to make to, it a convincing, to make cover it story. a convincing thing. Yeah. And then you even get, um, Oh gosh, what's his name there? You know, being like, Canton. no, yeah, yeah no, yeah. it's the doctor. Yeah. The doctor dies on this day at this time. Yeah. He does not come back. Like, you know, <laughs> yeah. like making it like saying it, in as many ways as possible to make, I mean, part of that's for us, the audience, yeah. but also like, you know, you, you imagine like maybe he's not in on the plan completely or whatever, mm -hmm. but like the doctor might've slipped him a note that said like, make it as convincing <laughs> yeah, as possible. Right. Like, right. like don't leave any doubt whatsoever in case there happened to be any silence around listening. Right. Which there are. So, um, you know, right. we saw no. in the premiere that there was the silence on the hill nearby, sort of making sure that everything goes according right. to plan. Um, right. And, ex right, exactly. So, like, there, it's that whole idea of, like, going to extra lengths and adding layers and layer upon layer of, you know, assurances that the plan is going to work. Mm. Uh, yeah. And that's why he needed his friends. That's why he needed Canton. And that's why he needed, you know, to have all of these things sort of work out the way they did. Mm. Um, so that he could fool people, basically. Yeah. That's what it boils down to. Yeah. Um, it does. And um, the the thing is, though, of course, then it also fools River. Well, yeah. <laughs> which is which is what gets it into trouble. Yeah. Um. Uh, Really quick, too, the other thing I want to mention in his kind of little farewell tour bit is um, the mentions of, like, all the stuff that he, you know, could do, maybe, and, and doesn't, you know, that I could invent a new color, save the dodo, join the Beatles. Um, Liz the First is still waiting in a glade to elope with me. I could help Rose Tyler with her homework, go to all text tag parties in one night. Um, and, but then you get the I want to mention this call to the brigadier. Um, yeah. Which I feel like I must have mentioned him at some point or other, but I can't remember now. Um, I don't remember, but I, okay. I, I looked him up. Okay. Because, like, I felt like that was a significant this moment. Yeah. And I'm like, I don't remember this character. Right. We haven't uh, met him, but he okay. was, uh, like, the head of unit um, back, back when. And uh, the... He was like a popular recurring character who worked with almost all of the classic doctors. So like, you know, oh, okay. I mean, there was a period where he was a regular, but like they would even bring him back later, you know. So, you know, sure. he was sort of had like, you know, the brigadier was in the show for like 25 years or something. Um, yeah. And uh, they um, meant to... Or, I'm sorry, they did bring him back for an episode of the Sarah Jane Adventures. 
Um, and he was supposed to also be in the episode that Tennant did, so he would have gotten to meet the 10th Doctor, um, but he was sick at the time and couldn't do it. And he actually died shortly before this episode, which is why you get, you know, the mention of, you know, the Brigadier sure. passing and like everything. A nice so a nice little homage and also works perfectly for, you know, the sense of, well, these are all the things the doctor could be doing, but he's not. He's not going to visit Rose or Jack. Right. Um, and the sense of, you know, we haven't seen any of the new Who doctors meet the Brigadier, you know, and he had time to go meet him, and he didn't. And right. now, even though he's a time traveler, there's still that sense of it's too late. You know, that it's that kind of reminder of, you know, it's time, like he says. Um, so I kind of like that. Because, like, even though you get all the, like, all times are present, you still have a sense of the progression of time, you know? Right. And the doctor's right. kind of respect of that. That, like, the brigadier can't just, you know, get out of his own death. So yeah. maybe the doctor should treat this with a little bit more reverence than he is. And... and We've also we've talked before too about like the sense that even though he is a time traveler, there are there is also at times a certain sense of urgency yeah. about things that he is like you can't always just go back and change things whether fixed point or not like that's not even a question of it but like that there are certain things that have to happen in certain ways mm. and uh, or at certain times yeah. and that even though he might be. 10,000 years in the future and is able to go back and change something in the past, like, you he can't necessarily just do that at any time. Yeah. Um, so I like that. Like, I like that little, that's the thing which convinces him to just, you know, even though he's still going to put in his little, you know, safety net, um, it's still kind of that that human moment, that reminder of, you know, the mortality of his companions is sort of what, you know, prompts him to, you know what, it's time and I need to just do this and start putting it, stop putting it off. Mm. Yeah. Um, so in the last six minutes. <laughs> well, the, yeah. Um, should talk about river a little bit. Yeah. You mentioned a woman. Helen High Heels. Uh, yeah, no, the, uh, I mean, what to say about River? So, like, typical River. Mm. Um, being very, she loves the doctor. Mm. So she's sort of taking control of the situation. Not realizing the doctor sort of has control of the situation already. Uh, as we've mentioned. Yeah. Um, but I, you know, I mean, this is, this is the declaration, right? Like talk about not knowing how much time has passed for people. Like we've yeah. seen river and all sorts of different, like we don't get the sort of even continuity that we get with the doctor, you know, to a degree. Right. So like, um, you know, 
we saw when she changed and became River Song. But then we also like saw when she graduated with her PhD, which didn't happen overnight. Right. So like, uh, and then you know how whatever amounts of time in between there. Yeah. Um. You know, but this is so we get the. You know, she's trying to control the situation, but it, but of course, her method of controlling the situation is that they can never touch like becomes part of the deal. So it's like, yeah. what sort of situation is that, that you've created for yourself? It's like one of those yeah. catch 22s. It's like, yes. Okay. Say we are able to stay together in this mixed up crazy world, you know, forever, <laughs> yeah. but you can never touch. Like, is that really, you know, it's that classic of, uh, you know, would you rather have like one moment of happiness or, right. you know, live a long time and be miserable like yeah because that's kind of what's happening here mm -hmm. and um i'm not a fool doctor i know what happens if we touch well actually you are kind of a fool if that's if you think you're going to be happy with that because that's the thing is like we know yeah that's not a situation that river could actually be happy with yeah not ever kissing or yeah whatever, like the is, doctor again. is this a price worth paying even for yeah. you know um even for him not dying. Yeah, which is kind of the reverse of, you know, with her in the library of like, yeah, she sacrifices herself, but to, you know, ensure that their future will happen. You know, that mm. it, it, the moment of allowing death to happen is what enables all the other happy moments to happen, you know, and, you know, in order to have a anything like a happy, fulfilled relationship, you have to accept that time goes on and people die. Um, otherwise, that's not much yeah. of a relationship. So, yeah, like, even though, like, the doctor gets out of it or the death's metaphorical or whatever, like, you still get that sense of, like you said, the this solution is not going to work. <laughs> this is, mm -hmm. like... A desperate attempt to in denial you know um yeah you know yeah. and a, a noble one i mean she's trying to save his life you understand why she's doing it but yeah. pretty quickly you realize this is not good for anybody right and right and then there's the whole added complication of time disintegrating you know yada, yeah yada, yada. yeah <laughs> You know, um, which you know, which, death for everybody else instead of just the doctor, you know, or whatever. So right, which is which is funny because I didn't actually think about it till just now. But like one of the things she you know she says is like you know I can't I can't let you die without like you knowing how many people love you or whatever, right? Because mm -hmm. there's like all the billions of people who are supposedly like it's kind of like the Ood song, right? It's like right. you know all of these different people singing you know the doctor's praises yeah. kind of thing. Um, but by doing that, she's putting all of those same people in danger. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, he actually says to Amy, what, what does he say about, like, you know, all these people dying, but I'll, I won't love you for that or something like yeah. that. I don't, I, I don't remember the exact quote. I, think but I won't thank you for that. I won't thank you for yeah. that. Yeah. Like, like that, you know, she's sort of holding up yeah. the solution which is going to cause all these people to die. Well, like rivers doing that, like scads more than Amy mm -hmm. is. So, 
Um, scads. I don't even know if that's the right <laughs> word, but like much more. Yeah, than like Amy. in preventing him, like they're preventing him from doing what the doctor does, which is save all those people. You know, which right. is what they're thanking him for. Um, which is why and, they and not love only him, but not only preventing him from doing that, but actively putting them in harm's way. Right. Like it's not even that it's like something bad will happen to them and they're not like letting the doctor fix it. Mm. It's that they're the ones doing the bad things to these people yeah. and not letting the doctor fix it. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's, that's, I didn't really think about it even like that before, but there's a, there's a bit of irony there mm. even to Amy's or sorry, uh, rivers action of, you yeah. know, wanting him to know about all these people who love him. And Oh, by the way, they're all in danger of dying because of me. Yeah. Um, so anyway, um, but there, but, but there that is the sense. Us... Well, there also is the sense too, though that 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 message is really Rivers. Like I actually wonder how long she meant for this to go on in the first place. You know, because he kind of presses her on it, and she kind of, you know, ends up saying, you know, I can't let you die without knowing that you're right. loved, and that you know, you dying isn't necessarily what's best for the universe or what everyone would rather happen. So in a way, her whole plan is really to give him that message. And once she does, she's much more uh, willing to listen to him. Like at that point, like she is kind of more willing to go through with their little sort of marriage and, and, and look in his eye and all that stuff. Um, So, you know, I don't know. Yeah. It's hard to say. Like, would she have let that go on indefinitely? I've no idea. Um, right. I, and obviously, I don't know either. I mean, it's a speculation that could have many different facets. Um, and then, you know, there's there's her statement of, I'll suffer if I have to kill you. And he turns around and is like, more than every living thing in the universe. And she says, yes. And, okay, hyperbolic much sure um you know but you get the sense of this is how she feels at least um yeah. you know that it is more important at least to her mm. that she get to spend some time with the doctor i and yeah i don't know that i quite agree with you on her willingness to change he does tell her to look in her eye in his eye and she does and mm. sees him there and not, like we learn later that the thing that he whispers to her is something along the lines of, "Hey, look, I'm really a robot." Like, yeah. <laughs> like you know, you can kill me because it's not really me. Yeah. Like you know, like so we don't know exactly what that is. We know that it's not his name. Right. Like he says it is, which is interesting because of course at some point we know that she does still learn his name. Right. Like that happens. Like we've already seen that. Right. But we it. We, we thought still it might don't be know. Here, yeah, but yeah. it's not actually here. Yeah, and yeah, like they sort of got married, but they didn't really get married. Like you know, it's like that whole. Yeah, well, it's like you know, her. She says uh, they talk about the theories. Am I the woman who murders you, or the woman who marries you? Again, winking at like the fan theories, you know, um, and the answer to both those questions is kind of yes and no. <laughs> like, right. sort of, for both, 
you know, is sort yeah. of the answer. Uh, it uh -huh. depends on how you look at it. Right. Um, so. Yeah. Again, with the deliberately not, you know, not, not satisfying answers, question. but. Um, yeah, but I, it leaves. I wonder. It, it's enough of an answer, but also leaves enough. Like, if you want to see the Doctor and River as being in a committed marital relationship, it opens that door. But if you don't like that at all, well, it sort of is in an alternate reality. Um, and right, you know. But then you also get Amy later saying, "Well, I remember it. It happened." Oh, right. You well, know. right. Yeah. You know, and right, and referring to herself as a mother in law, like, so there is that sense. But again, that's not definitive. It's, yeah, it still happened in another reality. But does, since we remember it, does that mean it happened? Or, yeah, because it was in a different reality, does that mean it didn't happen? Like, yeah. what's the real deal here? Right. Um, yeah, so it sort of, you know, uh, Moffat leaving himself many open doors to get out <laughs> which is you know what fair enough like i think especially with doctor who you want to keep you know that sense of canon as loose as you can you know because you know it's going to keep going for a long time and many other writers are going to want to come in and play around you know so mm -hmm. it's pretty tough to marry off the doctor definitively you know so this kind of tries to have it both ways and I think probably does it about as successfully as you could do that. So. Sure. Um, okay. Any final thoughts on river? Uh, just that I saw a meme the other day, which I like, and I've seen this occasionally. It's a, uh, there's like an image, but, um, the caption reads that awkward moment when you get shot by your wife in front of your wife, who then proceeds to try to kill your wife while your best friend is off to the side pregnant with your wife. So I think that pretty much sums up River's role in this episode. Fair enough. Yeah. <laughs> That's pretty funny. Like actually. River's there like three times, like in different, I don't know. It's very confusing, but right. yeah. Um, well, so Amy, so speaking of the mother-in-law. <laughs> that's my favorite. One of my favorite things Karen Gill Gillan ever did is that stink face when she realizes she's the mother-in-law. That kind of like, she just smells like a bad fish or something. Like she gets this really like yeah. disgusted look on her face. Um, I just think that's really funny. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's a good, good moment. Um <laughs> The oh, well, okay. So, Amy, one I like the the James Bond entrance. Yeah, Pond, Pond. Amelia Pond. Yeah, <laughs> like, um, yeah. That's a joke waiting to happen. Yeah. Uh, so I, you know, I don't, I don't know that there's much to say. Like, actually, for her and Rory, we can maybe kind of deal with them together. Like, yeah. I don't know that there's a ton to say that we haven't sort of always already said with them um i like the I, I like the callbacks for both of them so you know amy yeah. you'll find your worry you always do but you have to really look i am looking oh amelia pond you don't always look hard enough yeah. like that's amy in a nutshell like mm -hmm. she 
She's looking, but she's also looking other places at other things yeah. too, kind of yeah. frequently. Um, and then, you know, what he says to Rory, the loyal soldier waiting to be noticed, always a problem. Why, why is that? You know, that's the, that's his role. That's, he's the one off to the side, you know, talk about, uh, you know, Amy being the girl who waited and, and mm-hmm. Rory being the boy who waited, like he's yeah. still waiting sort of in his own way. Yes. Yeah, um, she's kind of always waiting and not realizing that what she wants is kind of right in front of her. Whereas he's always kind of waiting to be noticed, you know, by her. Um, yeah. Yeah. And the great line about she wants to take you out for texting and scones. <laughs> for texting and <laughs> That's what the yeah. kids do. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, no, I mean, and of course they do end up in, in like, Rory, again, you know, stays there even though he's in pain and, you know, stays there to wait. And, of course, can't hack it. So Amy comes back and saves him. Like, you know, again, like, you know, like this whole episode is sort of a little microcosm of of their relationship, um, which is good and fun, all of that. Um, I don't know that there's a ton more to say. Uh, Yeah, I mean... Not so much for Rory. I do want to mention a couple minutes on Amy's uh, murder of Madame Kavarian. Um, oh, yes, of course. Speaking of things which get, you know, undone in alternate timelines, but which may or may not still be true. You know, Amy certainly seems to feel like that's true. That, you know, she can remember it and she feels the guilt of that. Um you know um yeah so yeah little little ruthless streak from amy there in that moment yeah and and her you know call to the fact that there might be some genetic disposition in in river uh from amy that you know leads to that sort of behavior mm. um and and the use of the word sweetie yeah so uh yeah, very interesting. I don't know that I would have called that much beforehand, but mm-hmm. kind of as it was happening, I'm kind of like, yeah, I can see that actually. Yeah. Like, um, well, it does. I mean, I mentioned the criticism that the season doesn't take enough time to go through the emotional um, ramifications of the trauma that Amy's gone through you know so Mm. whether or not this satisfies that i guess is up to the viewer but at least you do see that um you know obviously amy is very upset by what happened you know that she we don't see her dwelling on it a lot but when given the opportunity you know to face down the people who you know did all this stuff to her and her baby she yeah. absolutely, you know, has a tough time just letting that go. Um, so, you know, hinting at the fact that there's more going on underneath the surface of what she might choose to show at any given time, you know. Mm. Yeah. Um, and always, you know, not that that, like, it becomes like, you know... a. I think you feel sympathy for her, so I don't want to take it too far, but there is always that lurking thing of, you know, the doctor 
companions turning into kind of soldiers and weapons and everything. You know, you kind of mm -hmm. get hints of, you know, a journey's end with all of the characters with their various MacGuffins, like, willing to, like, blow sure. up things, you know, in the name of the Doctor. So you kind of see, like, you know, Amy, I don't think of her necessarily as a soldier, but you see her willing to do something pretty violent, you know, if she... Yeah. If she feels like it, so. Yeah. You know, being with the doctor can have that effect. Yeah. Um, and I do like the idea of, like, her and River, you know, like their mother-daughter moment, you know, sitting out there, you know, drinking wine or whatever. Yeah. And, like, River's like, oh, yes, you know, I just got back from whatever adventure. Yeah. And I like the idea. Like, it didn't really... Um, Occurred to, occurred to me before but like you know obviously we know River sort of escapes her cell a lot mm. and just goes off and does her thing but it never occurred to me that like she escapes her cell and goes home like to Amy and Rory's house yeah. you know what I mean like yeah. you know home in the, my yeah. parents house yeah. sort of thing like like that seems so mundane for River yeah. but like yeah. I kind of like that idea that some of the time at least that she's doing that you know, escaping. Like, she still goes on adventures with the doctor, but before she goes back to prison, yeah. she spends some time with mom and dad, too. Well, <laughs> like... and that, you know, that's the other way it, that it deals with Amy's trauma is, you know, part of it is, yes, she's traumatized and she's angry and she wants someone to take it out on, but the other half of that is you get this hint that she actually does get to have a relationship with her daughter. You know, she didn't get to raise her baby the thought the way that she would you know although we did see that yeah. she more or less raised Mel's so I guess that kind of comes right. to the same thing but that she except that she grew up with her well yeah not realizing raised... who she was yeah but but that you but was taking care of her the whole time yeah and had well. a relationship like knew who she was you know and and loved her and everything and then you get this little hint that you know, occasionally River does stop by and visit them. So even into, you know, adulthood, she gets to continue to know her daughter, you know, so that helps repair some of the damage too, I think. Sure. Um, which, you know, is a more wholesome way of healing from the trauma than the like revenge stuff. Yeah. So I, I do like that we kind of get both of those things. Well, and, and the idea that actually... She, you know, because of that, because of actually growing up with her own, you know, best friend yeah. daughter thing, yeah. um, she actually ends up spending more of her life maybe with her daughter than a lot of people do because, yeah. like, the baby's taken away, but then she sees Mel again very soon after that. You know right. what I mean? Like, I mean, it's... It's not like, you know, the baby was taken and years go by and then, you know, you see your adult person. Right. It's like minutes go by right. and you see your best friend and realize, oh, you're actually my daughter. It was her and, all along, yeah. And I've known you my entire life. So, like, yeah, there is this sense of, like, yes, it's messy and uh, not time, uh, like, the time flow is weird but it, it it she actually 
may have gotten even to know her daughter much better because of the situation and because of the kidnapping than she would have if she just had a normal life. Yeah. And not grown up with her own daughter, you know, and just had a daughter as a baby. And even that, because, like, I mean, it takes time for a baby to grow and mature and a child to become to the point where they're actually rational people that you can like have conversations with, you know? So like there are also not not that that's lost years per se, but those are things that while I'm sure Amy would have been happy to partake of, like also being able to have the friendship that she has now with river as a young, as a young woman, a woman who's actually younger than her own daughter yeah. in appearance or whatever, anyway, um, at least objectively, like that's not something anyone gets to have normally. So yeah. there are there are sort of bonuses to that situation or uh, unexpected, you know, ways that you could benefit from that, mm-hmm. so to speak. So yeah. anyway, I feel like I'm kind of rambling on that point, but. <laughs> Um, anyway. Um, well, and then I guess just the last thing before we finish off is that River does end up sharing the secret, you know, so whether or not the doctor intended them to ever find out that, you know, I guess that's up for debate, but he does share his secret with River and she shares it with Amy and Rory. So, um, you know leaving it off with somebody knows that he's still alive and out there. Yeah. Yeah. Hopefully that doesn't come back to bite anyone. (laughs) That remains to be seen. Sure. All right. Well, anyway, cool. Well, good stuff. I, I mentioned to you before we started recording that I was not expecting the silence to be an unresolved plot point yeah uh, at the end of this episode you know i thought we're over time so i thought maybe when we do our season recap we can talk more about the arc stuff because i want to talk about that like the fact that it's unresolved and i want to get maybe start to look a little bit at the like expanded prophecy that we get like because we've heard silence will fall but we get a bit more data this time about what that might mean, you know, and what the first question is. But mm. since we're over for this time, maybe we'll talk about that with the recap. Yeah, sounds good. All right. So I guess that's a hint that we need to move on to Angel. <laughs> well, we don't have to, but... <laughs> no, no, we should. Um, so let's do so. Okay. Uh, and I actually do have a few production notes, nothing okay. real major. Uh, before we begin. Um, first, I wanted to note, uh, this is written by Howard Gordon, okay. uh, who wrote Expecting, mm-hmm. uh, and he co-wrote Hero mm-hmm. with Tim Minear, and he co-wrote um, What's My Line Part 1 episode of Buffy with right. uh, Marty Knox. And, right. uh, but this is the last time we'll actually see him. So those, yeah. those were all actually good episodes. So like yeah. it's kind of, and, and this is as well. So uh, I'm not sure exactly what happens with him he may continue on as like a producer or something but i yeah as far as writing uh goes this is the last time we see him here um so i just sort of wanted to mention that um farewell howard gordon two two guest stars i wanted to sort of note um 
One is we get Stephanie Romanov, who plays Lila Morgan. Okay. Um, and I want to I want to note her not because she has actually done anything else real notable. <laughs> um, she was in a movie with Robin Williams, but it was one of his like weird phase where like he was doing like dark sort of almost quasi independent films. Uh-huh. Um, like one hour photo 2000s. kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. I forget the name of the film that she was in with him now. I should have wrote it down, but I didn't. Um, but yeah, one of the, so anyway, and I don't think she was like a main character. Okay. She was like second character. Uh, but Lila will become uh, a significant presence okay. in in the series. So I just, I want to note her now. Like I, you know, we know that she's sort of attached to Wolfram and Hart. We can talk about that. Yeah. But uh you know, I've mentioned Christian Kane also becomes sort of a bigger presence. And I, I had forgotten how little we actually see of Wolfram and Hart in the right. first series, uh, in the first uh, season, I mean, you know, which by itself maybe tells you that, like, we should not take this season to be the usual trend for them. Like, mm-hmm. they, you know, just in general, the law form of Wolfram and Hart becomes a bigger sort of presence. Yeah. and. Lila specifically as uh, one of the faces of that uh, firm, okay, you know, becomes important. So I uh, wanted to mention her. And then also Scott William Winters, who plays Jack mm. McNamara, um, the, the blonde brother. Yeah. Uh, he uh, actually, I never really uh, knew this before, like when I had watched Angel, but I just um, recently finished the uh, HBO series Oz. Oh, yeah. Uh, which is about the you know prison and mm-hmm. uh, prison life and whatever. And actually, he's in like all or maybe all but one of, of the seasons of Oz. Mm. Um, and in that, um, he plays uh, Cyril O'Reilly, who is a um, basically uh, before the events of Oz take place, he has an accident and has a blow to his head, uh, which leaves him um, with basically the mental capacity of a five-year-old. Okay. Um, but he's a murderer and is in prison and like it, and, and a lot of the, the uh, you know, parts that deal with him um, deal with, you know, that sort of thing, like having mental disabilities and, and sort of prisons being a trap mm. for, you know, people with those sorts of disabilities. And yes, they did bad things, but, you know, is there kind of uh, a better way to handle, you know, people like that kind of thing? And and his, his story arc, I mean, the whole show's kind of sad and depressing. Sure. But, like, his, his story arc in particular is, like, particularly depressing, yeah. Uh, but, like, not having remembered that he was in Angel mm. and seeing him in Oz, and actually... Uh, was it you know Oz aired from like 1998 to like 2003 so like this comes right. in kind of right in the middle of right. his stint right. there so he he was playing that um I I really liked his performance in Oz like I thought he did really well and there were flashbacks to like before his accident so you you could both see him like you know How with used to be, mental yeah. incapacities and and also not and the not is more like his character in here right. but he i actually thought he was really good he's he's gone on to do like a bunch of other like bit parts and a few like minor recurring roles in shows and stuff yeah but uh but that's his biggest part i, I would i would say i would say like he's you know there's a lot of good acting in oz mm-hmm. but like he definitely seeing his character here and then seeing what he can do sort of in the other role is yeah. is very interesting. So yeah. Anyway, um, 
cool. So yeah, just wanted to sort of call out those folks. Um, and then uh, I have a few notes on Tim Minear, you know, his normal uh, recaps of, of his own episodes, or not his own, but like of the first season episodes anyway. And, yeah. Um, I don't know that there's anything particularly, uh, like, you know, he, he calls out sort of the Spartacus vibe and, and that. Right, kind of yeah. Thing, but we can, yeah. We, you know, we can talk about that stuff as we talk through the story. Um, so. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's true. I hadn't thought of Spartacus, but definitely I got a, like, gladiator vibe, you know, of, yeah. you know, that's kind of the, the, and especially, like, Wesley even mentions, like, that it's, like, an ancient Roman tradition. So yeah. as they're doing the gladiator games, they're also sort of have this, like, you know, special, you know, gladiators for demons, you know, at the same time. Right. Um, right. Because, like, the Octavian match or something. Um, yeah. So, yeah, like, you know, not a very far-fetched idea, you know, that historically this sort of thing did happen um so you know to actual human beings so not that uh, that not that much of a stretch to think that if we did discover you know demons or another sentient species other than our own that they would kind of get sucked into this like underworld of like you know sure. you know black market fighting rings and stuff um. Yeah, yeah, and and I mean, sad to say, like I would not be surprised at all to learn that there are places in the world today that sure. actually do have these types of, yeah. uh, you know, quasi slave almost, yeah, uh, you know, fighters and that kind of thing, like yeah, that would not be all that shocking to me no, unfortunately no i think you're probably uh, right so and uh, and so then it kind of is appropriate that um the <laughs> it's kind of hard to say like i was going to say the bad guys in this are the humans although even at the end we can talk about the ending how they kind of realize well they just let a bunch of other bad guys go <laughs> a bunch of demons yeah, yeah. so I don't mean that to say, like, the demons are totally innocent either, but, like, for the purposes of this story, the villains are the humans, you know, which, again, makes sense because this is a thing which does happen. You know, it's not like the demons coming in and rounding up humans for their, like, bad fighting right. rings. It's the other way around. That this is something yeah. that human beings are capable of doing. Um, yeah. Yeah, no, this is... Angel tends to be uh, more willing to, to to sort of bend the rules. Where you know Buffy's definitely more like demons, at least in the first few seasons. We might have had a few exceptions, but yeah. you know, much more of like you know humans generally are good and demons generally are bad. Mm. Starting to see maybe a little slip in that, but yeah. like that's sort of been the really but like angel sort of you know from right off yeah you know starts from i mean just given the fact that it, angel himself you know right. the show uh is named after you know a demon so right. like this is this is a much more uh 
ambiguous right. situation. Um, and even within the the cadre of demons that we see in this episode, like you can see that there that there are those who are maybe more like more like they have a code. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe they're not good, but they're not necessarily bad either. Like mm-hmm. it's more the situation yeah. of being forced to fight that right. you know is causing the thing. And like especially with um uh you know with Trepkos, like you see that in the end after Angel spares his life he spares Angel's life. You right. know what I mean? Like, so there is sort of like, it's not, it's not sort of a black and white yeah. thing of he's just out to kill everyone. He's, he's sort of a practical demon, but also does seem to have something of a conscience. It's like, uh, this is a really broad generalization. And that's not to say that like, it's all like, I don't think Buffy is black or white, um, but it's more like, if Buffy's closer to like a Lord of the Rings kind of view of, you know, where not that it's not black and white and there's certainly evil everywhere, but at the same time, you kind of have a better sense of who the good guys are and who the bad guys are, you know, whereas angels more living in a game of Thrones kind of world where, you know, there it's, there's good guys and bad guys, but they're all mixed up with each other. Like, yeah. on every team, you know, you kind of can't root for anybody or, or you know, or not. And it, that's simplistic because obviously Angel and his team are, you know, who we root for. But right. Angel has the potential for Angelus. So even that is complicated. Um, and the world just seems a less I don't want to use any adjectives because like I feel like anything I say is going to assume that one is better than the other and it's not it's right. just different you know right. um right we get more we get more of a sense that like the demons are just sort of another species of sentient being right where you do have ones that are bad and maybe you even have like entire species that have predilection towards a certain culture or a certain behavior or something. And the, and the humans are as capable and as frequently mixed up in like evil behavior as the demons are like, whereas Buffy that's possible, but it's more rare. Um, Whereas angel, it seems like that's a consistent thing of like, you can't really trust the humans either. (laughs) Right. Yeah. No. And Buffy, I mean, you have the mayor, of course. So like, but he's like the aberration, you know, like it's not like you go around thinking that all the, or like um, even with, with like, uh, uh, you know, mom, mom's against the, or move mom's against (laughs) the occult, you know, like, you know, you get the sense that, they're under a spell Uh like it's not it's not like normal uh human behavior human human behavior kind of thing right so um yeah and buffy doesn't get mixed up in enforcing the law among humans you know unless she's forced to whereas you know angel it seems like is more willing to cross that line a bit um yeah you know that he'll you know be more open to writing whatever wrongs come across his path, regardless of necessarily like 
he has right. a less of a sense of like limits to what sort of cases he'll take on and you know sure um, sure. um so yeah all of that i think i think is right and i think and i think that's you know again the difference between the two shows too also yeah. being uh, that like we've mentioned before angel takes on more adult themes and this is certainly you know underground fighting clubs of a sort are certainly sure. <laughs> you know along those lines so yeah uh um yeah anyway um so just sort of round out the situation so you have this underground gladiator style fighting uh you know thing going on uh they fight to the death and if you win 21 times, I'm not sure where they got that number, like what the significance of that yeah. number is. Like a I mean, seven, coming, seven of, times coming three. of age kind of thing. Like, yeah, it could be that. Like, I, yeah, I was trying to figure out like what could, could be. But yeah, maybe, right. Like it's the drinking age in, mo- in all states, I guess, at this point. But, you know, it's, yeah, that sort of thing. Like, yeah, you're. Like you're an, an adult, adult, you've earned your, your independence yeah. now or something. Um, or maybe just set absurdly high so that very few demons actually get to that point anyway so um like you do get the sense that trepkos is sort of an unusually good uh fighter in this sense yeah yeah and the fights are going to keep and if you get someone who is good they're going to keep getting more and more like brutal and cutthroat because he's getting closer to his and more money i mean because it's all driven by money more money is going to be exchanged and people are going to bet and that kind of thing yeah um there's also so I guess just sort of on the situation side of things too. Like there's also the sense that you know because these are demons and not human that it's, there's also sort of like a subspecies thing going on too. Right? Mm-hmm. Like it's okay to entrap and force them to fight because they're not really people. Yeah, and, definitely. You know that kind of thing. So um, yeah, no, like I mean, and that's kind of what I was thinking. Like okay, we know that human beings are capable of doing this to other human beings but it seems even easier even more likely like if we did discover yeah. other creatures of course we would want to enslave them and <laughs> use them for you know sick entertainment like yeah um because yeah. if we can do that with people of other cultures or classes or just who are just weaker than us you know yeah, of course you're going to do that with something that you know you know the argument would be well they're not really people you know that this is basically yeah. like this is like cockfighting or dogfighting that like this is just <laughs> yeah you know, exactly um yep a, a creature which is like not treated with the respect of an actual autonomous human being um mm-hmm. so and it, I like that Angel becomes, like, I like the Spartacus comparison. Like, even though at the end he does kind of think twice about who did he just unleash on the city, you know, there is that kind of, like, he becomes the champion for the oppressed demon, you know, um, and kind of leads them in their little, you yeah. know, revolution, um, which is fun. Yeah, well, and that's so, and of course, it, like you could get into the whole fallacy of relative privation there, where, you know, 
just because there's a wrong, even if it's a greater wrong, that doesn't necessarily mean you should allow another wrong right. to occur. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. Uh, so anyway, so like, yeah, like this is clearly a wrong thing. Like it's entrapping sentient beings, not necessarily. Well, I mean, we can use the Doctor Who definition of people, right? Who do I mean by people? Demons. Yeah. So, yeah. like, you know, I mean, uh, you know, this is certainly a wrong situation. Mm-hmm. Um, and by releasing these creatures, okay, yeah, probably at least some of them are going to do some bad things at some point. Uh, but that's a free will thing, too. Like, yeah. they also have the ability to not do bad things and you like it would be wrong for you to just kill them like again this isn't the slayer who is supposed to just go off and kill demons but even buffy doesn't just like she even has developed the sort of right she has discretion yeah there are the harmless demons and then there are the non-harmless demons so like even she is sort of getting to that point um you know but at least with angel like this is it would be just as wrong for him to kill them as to enslave them. Like, why would right. that be any better if they're not actively doing some sort of harm? Yeah. Um, yeah. Which in the moment they're not. So. Right. Right. And yeah. he doesn't have evidence that they've done harm in the past even. I mean, it's likely, you know, and, uh, but that's not why he's there. That's not, he doesn't. Certainly. Certainly a reasonable conclusion that Crib at least has done a few things. He, yeah. He seems to be the... Yeah. The troublemaker. The troublemaker. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Uh, yeah, so, and, um, I mean, we sort of... I don't know that we talked much yet about Darren and Jack. I don't know what's to say about them. They're the ringleaders. Yeah. Um, Darren kills Jack. Yeah. So, like, I mean, you like you said, I mean, it's easy to see sort of the human-on-human aspect of this, too. Yeah. And there it is, you know? like he, Yeah, as the demons are kind of slowly learning to come together and work together and, you know, fight together, you know, for the good of the group. You have actual, you know, human blood brothers who will sort of sell each other out, you know, in a moment if it is what suits their purpose. Um, yeah. And that Darren, the kind of suited businessman, bureaucrat, is actually maybe a little bit more ruthless than his, like, mm. more kind of, like, streetwise, you know... Yeah, thuggish. thuggish brother. Kinda, yeah, um, yeah. You know, so... Yeah. He's actually maybe, like... Jack's kind of more the muscle and the enforcer, but Darren's, like the brains of the operation like that you know especially especially with like wolfram and hart lurking around and we'll talk about them later it's like that kind of bureaucracy is a seedier you know more dangerous thing really like the demons are physically dangerous and like jack is physically dangerous and have to be kind of like you know it it they can certainly do harm and have to be stopped but like they're not the root of the problem. The root of the problem is, like, all the fancy rich people who are up on the, you know, it's the Darrens and the Lilas and all the people who are, like, coming here and betting money and spending money and egging them on and doing all the stuff. Like, that's, like, the culture, which is 
a harder thing to change than like actually just stopping the fighting and everything. Right. right Cause you get the sense that even though the McNamara has died, there's going to be someone to step into their place. Sure. You know, yeah. and that all or like who's to say spectators that, will be back. Who's to say they don't have other rings, you know, like out there, like a network of things, yeah. you know, like, well, you right. know, the demons like, are like these were two independent promoters and there might be a whole network of independent right. promoters. Of right. Like various fights. Like, you know, it's one thing to kind of break up this particular ring and and, you know, fight these bad guys and set these demons free. But the bigger problem being like, you know, the business machine is still out there, you know, the money which supports this kind of stuff and the kind of sadistic people at the top who are like willing to exploit the people at the bottom. Um, so yeah, like breaking up this ring doesn't necessarily solve that problem. Um, at all really um yeah so yeah so i mean yeah. there's not a whole lot to say about darren and jack but you know they're good they're they're villains which i think kind of like say a certain amount about like again like what kind of world angels taking place in and you know mm -hmm. it's easy to fall for the like beat up human act <laughs> and then you find out it's just a trick um right right and there and and that there's a network you know of things to happen there like you get the sense that this isn't the first time that they've sort of lured yeah i mean it, it's specific to angel because you know how many demon investigators are yeah but like you know that they've done this sort of thing mm. even if it's not this exact thing uh for other demons as well like you know lure lured them in yeah. and was it were able to, uh, you know, yeah, get them into the handcuff or whatever to, yeah. Um, as far as the other demons go, I mean, I think they do a pretty good job of like, you know, we get to know a couple characters specifically, and again, like making them distinct, not just physically, they're easy to tell apart, but you know, again, showing the different kinds of demons that you can have and they're different you know like crib does seem like the one who is the troublemaker like he would be the one who would be out there attacking the innocent people whereas yeah Trepka's... well and he's he's the opportunist as right. well like he he is not even like he's a troublemaker but only when it is easy to do yeah. and it suits him he can take it from like he, he'll take the food from the weaker younger smaller demon or take the 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 key from wesley you know um and he's got his like lizard tongue so he doesn't even have to fight to get what he wants he can just sort of steal it um yeah he stands back and yeah so um whereas like with trepkos i don't know i mean i could see him he's big and strong and you know he, i could certainly see him going out and doing some damage but you also get this kind of like in a weird way not gentle giant but like he only fights really because he has to or when like you know by the end yeah. he does kind of seem like you know he's fighting because there's no other way out of here and he's that close to his you right. know freedom but he doesn't relish it 
Um, and, you know, he's even, like, honorable in a weird sort of way. Like, he says, like, I'll kill him quick. Yeah. Like, you know, he's not right. he's not a sadist. He's not going to make him suffer. He'll do what he has to do. But, you know, as painlessly as possible. And that's, like, an awful... You kind of don't really see that coming when he... Um, I forget the... Is it Malish? Yeah. Malish, Malish, yeah. the, the kind of little one. I totally expect kind of what is more the cliche that, like, he becomes Angel's, like, you know, sidekick and supporter and Angel protects him and, you know, all this stuff. But, like, they totally got me with, uh, you know, when they go in the fighting ring and Trepkos kills him, like, you know, pretty much instantaneously. Um, yep. So, I mean, we didn't know him really well, so I'm... It, I can't say it was like like a huge loss that I mourned, but it's kind of a shock in that he's not the kind of character that should get killed off. <laughs> he's the kind of character that like Angel should save and you know, right. he's not able to do that. Yeah, and that's I mean part of the horror, I guess, if you want to call it that. Although it's more of an action episode than a horror episode per se, but like right. that that in itself is sort of the horror of this type of thing is that it it is the weaker ones who are most susceptible you know to being killed or least susceptible to yeah living through it however you want to word that um and yeah and you do get the sense of him like you know he's just a young demon trying to prove himself in the world kind of thing right. and that while you do have to sort of let those types grow and become who they're going to become. Like you also do have to do a certain amount of protecting of them as well. Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I know I like Trepkos, even though like you do get the sense that, like you said, he could do some damage. There is almost a sort of like Tibetan fighting monk vibe to him, you know, like that, that he can take care of himself and fight if he has to, but He's only going to do it if provoked or attacked, you know, in his life put in danger kind of thing. Mm -hmm. He's not necessarily the kind of demon, like, I could totally imagine Crib is, of just going out and, like, knocking over liquor stores or something. Right, right. Um, Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Well, um, I guess on to... uh, Angel himself. Um, I'm not sure where to go because I feel like we've talked about. Yeah, we've kind of covered a lot. I mean, you know, just like you said, he, you know, he is sort of the believing type and um, is there to help the humans. And, you know, you like, here's the question. Whose finger was that? Right. (laughs) Yeah. You know, like, I mean. They must have taken it from someone. Yeah. We don't know who that is. And, and, well, I mean, we won't ever know. Yeah. So, you know, it is what it is. Someone who um, owed them money, probably, you know. Yeah, right. Like, yeah, right. Like, when Wesley comes in, maybe that's what they were doing to that guy. Like, maybe he was the next one to get a finger lost right. or something. Um, you know, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, like, I guess, I guess we've kind of talked a lot about it. Like, there is... There's very much a strong Spartacus vibe to it. He, you know, comes in and 
both doesn't want to start trouble, but then also kind of starts trouble, you know, by not putting up with other demon stuff. Yeah. So, uh, you know, very much sort of, uh, you know, puts himself puts himself out there. But yeah, I mean, other like, you know, he tries to connect with Mellish. He tries to connect with Trepko's mm-hmm. crib. Just sort of outright ridicules him. Uh, but then also, like, just by acting the way he acts and, uh, like, especially when he spares Trepkos's life, yeah. you know, he, like, the other demons see that, especially Crib, and that's sort of what turns him in the end is, even if, like, he doesn't want to be, uh, you know, fighting the powers that are mm-hmm. in, you know, this little ring, uh, it it turns just like you know through angels sort of integrity and yeah. desire to actually do good like it does sort of inspire in a way goodness in these other demons yeah he so, sort of earns their respect yeah um, um yeah respect might be a better word than goodness <laughs> yeah <laughs> anyway so um i guess the only other thing to sort of talk about him then is to talk about him and lila uh, yes, and and bring in the whole Wolfram and Hart thing, um, right? Yeah, you get their initial meeting uh, where he snatches the ticket mm-hmm. and gives it back to her, and that's why. Yeah, I mean, okay, so they meet, whatever. That's cool. Yeah. Um. So after the first fight, uh, or no, after um, he gets knocked out. Uh, she buys out his contract, Mm -hmm. brings him to her office, sort of gives him this compromise, you know, of, you know, we can let you go and you just pretend nothing ever happened. Like, basically, I always wondered, like, with this episode, like, if she's expecting him to do exactly what he ends up doing and turning the demon, like, and totally getting the thing shut down. Hmm. Like there's, there's a sense of, you know, like, yes, we want him, you know, we want you to be quiet and not like bring in the police or any other help to sort of shut the thing down. But I also wonder if there's a sense of from her, like if she thinks that he's by being there, he could, do what he does and shut it down himself. Like that maybe she's. Is this like a, a manipulation to provoke him into doing that? You mean? No, I mean like that. She legitimately wants him to go like, cause there, there's a sense of like, he's had run-ins with Wolfram and Hart already before. Right. Like, so why would they just free him? Right. Like there's gotta be a motivation behind her wanting him. Well, to leave. And I guess I, for that, I kind of latched on to what she says about uh, there being, there isn't a reason why we can't work together. That the the price of his freedom, beyond just his silence, would be, you know, you're indebted to us to a certain extent. Yeah. And, we, and, and maybe he would become... 
you know, whatever it is that they imagine that he could do for them, you know, that he would sort of be, that they would be partners. I actually, I hadn't thought of this at the time, but it's an interesting kind of parallel to what's going on with Buffy and the, the initiative that like in a similar sort of way, they kind of want initially before Walsh tried to kill her, they wanted to kind of work with her, but wanted her to be subordinate to them. Like, don't really ask questions, you know, um, you're not going to lead anything, you know, we're in charge, but we're happy to make use of your slaying skills in the meantime. Um, I imagine that that's what Lila's proposing. That was the impression I got was like, we'll get you out, but you're going to keep quiet and you're going to do, you know, kind of what we tell you. Um, yeah. And, and I don't know, that's just the impression I had from her and, and his answer being, I've seen enough of you guys to know I don't want to be partners with you. So no thanks. Yeah. And I, I didn't mean to imply my musing as to say any of that's wrong. Like I think that that's all what she says. And I think that's right to an extent. I, I just have always sort of wondered, like, is there even more to it than what she's saying? Yeah. Um, maybe not. Maybe this text doesn't support it. But, it, you know, to me, like, it might also be a thing of, like, she being, you know, that they've run into him before. She's maybe concerned about him actually being able to shut down from within. Yeah. Um, and that if she can turn him and get him to agree to help out like there's also it's a preventative in addition to a proactive yeah. measure you know what i mean it's not just one or the other well because so, she's anyway. like one of the goers here you know like so yeah i mean she's an associate she says she's an associate so we're not she's not a partner right you know what i mean like so we're still talking like on this level of you know law firm hierarchy she's not like she's like middle management you know what i mean right. like not n- not high up but not you know a paralegal right <laughs> you know or a desk clerk or something right. you right. know what i mean like so um yeah 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 uh, clearly someone who's authorized to make deals anyway yeah. of some type and and it's unclear too i guess given her involvement like was she at the fight because she liked it? Seems like yes, but was she maybe also there in a council capacity? Right. You know, like like maybe there was a more official reason for her presence there yeah. uh, as well. And like that's yeah. Never like, is this stated. something that she is this a business connection or or something that and, yeah. and maybe both? I mean, they, you know, who knows? You know. They, they, it seems that they're clients. So yeah, like maybe they're, maybe it's a little pleasure and, you know, business at the same time kind of thing. Right. Like we, I mean, we don't, we don't get any real idea other than that we see her with, you know, a ticket, a gambling ticket. Like yeah. we don't get a real sense of why she's there or whatever. Maybe that's it. Maybe she just likes the fights, but then why does she care if it gets shut down? Like right. as a lawyer, it seems more like a, a, client-based thing that, uh, mm-hmm. uh, you know, simple pleasure type thing. Yeah. Just my impression. Well. Um, and then, of course, she's very 
also sort of acting somewhat seductive towards mm-hmm. Angel as well. Like there's very much, you know, the closeness and the, yep. the, you know, the why can't we work together sort of conversation has some undertones to it as well. Like, yep. uh, you know. Yeah, definitely. Maybe there's an attraction as well on her on her part, or maybe it's more manipulation. Like it's not entirely clear uh, what that might be. Yeah. All um, agreed. I don't. But no, go ahead. I'm oh, sorry. Go ahead. I was just gonna say, but as I've said, we will see more of Lila. So this is definitely not the last. We'll see of her. We'll yeah, I noticed her kind of quietly slipping out when the fighting started. So uh, I wouldn't have known whether or not we would see her again. But um, that's cool if we now have a couple characters who we can kind of look out for. Um, so I guess really just should mention Cordy and Wesley yes. at least. Um, Wesley. They go through... Wesley with, Sorry, with the crossbow. Oh, yeah, the sort of mini crossbow there. Yeah. Yeah. He he does... I think I said this before, and I think this is still kind of true, that, like, Wesley does seem like he's better, like, under pressure. Like, he's kind of a bumbling, you know, uh, fool. But, like, put him in a kind of pressure cooker situation, and he seems to be able to handle himself yeah. pretty well. Um, yeah, yeah push comes to shove yeah yeah he goes and confronts the kind of you know pretty tough guys who are like in the business in the middle of torturing somebody else um you know and he can kind of take them and is a good aim with the like nail or whatever's in the crossbow and then even like twists it in the guy's hand like he's not even like beyond like you know inflicting a little bit of pain to get you yeah. know what he's looking for so um yeah. far cry from when he held a crossbow up to angel right and, and just like smacked out of, out of his hand yeah 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 yes definitely um, yeah no i think i think that's always been sort of but that wasn't like Wesley, a high pressure like, situation that was like you know his life wasn't really at stake then you know yeah, yeah. i don't know We'll see. It's a good. It's a good. Theory. I just that's we'll the see. only thing that makes sense to me. How you can reconcile the kind of clumsiness that we see sometimes with the sure. very accurate, like killing machine, like you know, superhero that we like. You know what I mean? Like, yep. I'm trying to figure out like if there's a pattern between when he is one and when he's the other, and it seems like when he's around you know, Angel and Cordy, he's one thing, but like when, you know, it comes down to the wire, he can kind of step up and is actually pretty good at handling himself. So And I think I think I would say that there's also like I think that's right. I think I would say that there's also maybe a sense of purpose mm-hmm. to it. So like in the moments like those moments where he is in danger, like there's a clarity of focus, maybe that he doesn't always have, yeah. and maybe that could be contributing to to his bumblingness at other times where yeah. he's not real sure of what he's doing or should be doing. Right. Whereas, like, like when he goes in to face, um, you know, 
uh, I for, you know, uh, when Cordy is pregnant, you know, and and they're going to face the big demon. Right, that thing was the there. other like, moment I was. Yeah, of. an angel yeah. like throws the big, you know, uh, uh, canister at him, and he shoots it. Like that's, yeah, like there's clarity there. Like mm-hmm. he knows exactly what he's doing. Um, you know, here he knows what he needs to do. Like he's going, and he's not going to take any crap from anyone, and yeah. he's just going to deal with it. Like, so I think. I think that in combination with what what you say sort of would be the formula maybe that yeah. um, gives Wesley the ability to be a little more badass than yeah. we've seen him in other situations. Um, and I guess, I mean, other than that moment in particular, like they do, it. it's nice to have um, Cordy and Wesley kind of being the kind of competent helpers, like even though they're kind of funny and comic relief and everything, they don't do everything perfectly, but you know, they actually successfully, you know, figure out how to get Angel back, you know, like, and, and they help each other out. Like they compensate (laughs) for each other. So like when one of them kind of misses something obvious, the other one catches it. So like between the two of them, they figure out where he's being held how to sneak in, you know, how to get the cuff, how to, you know, get the, make the key to get the cuffs off, like all this stuff. Mm-hmm. And they're working on it together. Um, right. And that seems, I would say for their, although it's, you know, sort of the secondary story in yeah. this, like that for their characters, this episode is definitely about the two of them coalescing yep. as, uh, friends and yeah. you know partners in angel investigations yeah. like uh, you know yeah. and the, without, and, and and without see, angel there to sort of guide them or or help them yeah. out yeah and you see the arc you know from the beginning where they're bickering and arguing whatever to the end where they're complimenting each other right. after everything's done well yeah. oh you know it was Cordy who did this and yeah. well you know but you helped and blah 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 yeah. all that kind of stuff so um yeah like it i think that's nice that we can see that mm-hmm. so good um <laughs> and then the wonderful moment of we set the captives free well actually didn't we set a bunch of demons free <laughs> yeah technically oh, yes yeah. <laughs> so uh, yeah you know will that have implications who knows maybe yeah we'll see <laughs> but anyway i think uh yeah, I mean, I think while this is a good episode, like, I think it's fairly straightforward. Like, I don't know that there's a lot more to to say. Any yeah. other sort of final thoughts uh, you had? I think that covered everything I had. No. I think we're good. Cool. All right. Well, then, we will be back with a fun episode of Buffy next week yeah. that I really enjoy, nice. written by Jane Espenson. Yay. So, um, yeah, that should be good. And and the Christmas special uh, for Doctor Well, Who, we're going to do, right? our, we'll no. do our, season, oh, yeah. our season recap first. But That's right. I forgot. Yeah. All right. <laughs> On that note. I should just not try to do those uh, you know, sorts of ne- on on our next episode of Captain <laughs> Kurt's TV review. Yeah. No. All right. Okay. Well, on that note, see you then. <laughs>